All right, so it's time to get into the Word. I'm excited about this. All right. How many of you, who's ready to preach today? Anybody ready to preach? Scott, are you ready? He, he raised his hand. You want to come on and preach? We talked about that last week, right? We're going to raise up a, a church full of people that are ready to preach. Amen. At the drop of the hat, at the Word, at the, when the door opens, you're ready, right? I told one story about my first time preaching in my home church. You, you know why I was ready? On that Wednesday night when my pastor called me, an hour and a half before church, he called me and said, I want you to preach tonight. You know why I was ready? It's because on one Sunday morning, we were taking an offering, and I walked down to the front of the church, and as I was getting ready to put my offering, he called me up, and he said, uh, this, is my, this is my nephew. My, my pastor was my uncle. He said, this is my nephew, Chad, and he says he's called to preach, and we're going to find out right now. And he held the microphone out to me. And then he pulled it back and said, no, I'm just kidding. This time. But next time he'll be ready. And he talked about how his mentor, the first time he ever got an opportunity to preach, his mentor called him up without any notice, put him on the platform, and, and introduced him to speak. And so from that moment on, I was ready. I always go to church ready. I always go to church ready. Uh, back in uh, September of 2018, we were in Oklahoma for the uh, IMA conference, International Ministerial Association, that we're, I'm a part of, uh, my license of ordination is through that organization. So we, we were at our meeting. I was kind of new. I've been around the IMA for 20 years at this point, but I was, it was new. I'd only been a member for a little over a year. And uh, <clears throat> I was with Pastor Kurt Juzak. We were sharing a room together. We traveled down there from Minneapolis, and we're staying there in Oklahoma in the room together. We get a call. Uh, we're, we're just getting done with breakfast. I get a phone call, and it's Don, Don Crabtree, Dr. Don Crabtree. And he says, hey, one of our speakers this morning uh, isn't able to, uh, to be here. He, he, he's a no-show. Uh, would you be able to speak this morning? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. And so I did what I did when my pastor called me with a very short notice. I went and sat down in the hotel room, and I prayed and said, Lord, give me something. The Lord gave me something, and I went and I spoke on... Uh, uh, life in the sheepfold, the life about David and how God prepared David when he was in the sheepfold to reign on the throne. And I, I, I delivered that message. I was ready within 15 minutes. And, and literally, that, we, we, were, we drove, I, I actually, Kurt was driving from the hotel to the, the uh, church where the conference is at, and I was literally pulling up my notes to get things ready to go and deliver a message, Spe speaking to preachers, professional preachers. But I was ready. The drop of the hat. We all ought to be ready like that. Ready to preach on a moment's notice. In any given situation. I never go somewhere where I'm not ready to preach. We're going tonight to St. Louis to a church, Rachel and I. It's, they're, they're opening a new facility. And we're going tonight to be a part of that. I'll be ready to preach. I'm not scheduled to preach, but I will be ready to preach tonight. Every time I go to church, if I'm on the schedule to preach or not, I'm ready to preach. That my pastor trained me that way. And I believe it's a part of being instant in season and out. Now, you may not preach on a platform, but when an opportunity opens at work, you need to be ready to preach. Your holiday gatherings, you should be ready to preach. When that door opens, I mean, hey, we, we can talk about Trump and Biden. I mean, we, we, we can talk on all kinds of things. But are we ready to talk about Jesus? We need to be ready to talk about Jesus in every moment, every situation, in every circumstance. All right, so we're going to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to dig into Philippians this year, and it may take all year to go through Philippians. I don't know. 
But and I've been studying. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna read Philippians one, verses one through two today. And uh, I, I've got three messages out of these first two verses that, that I'm gonna preach over the next few weeks. Uh, today we're gonna talk about the servants of Jesus Christ. Servants of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've got just out of these two verses. Uh, we're we're going to talk about saints, deacons, uh, saints, bishops, and deacons. We're going to talk about that next week, actually. And then uh, also out of verse 2, we're going to talk about grace and peace. So we're, we're going to preach through the book of Philippians. I'm going to have help going through this series. Pastor Bill, Rachel, and others are, are, are going to be um, helping as we, we go through this book of Philippians. Uh, I, I believe that preaching this way, this, this is called, called expository preaching, going through books, line by line, verse by verse, and, and preaching. There's, there's topical preaching, there's various types of preaching. Expositional preaching, we, we're going to cover the entire book, and uh, this is going to help you, I believe, learn how to study God's Word as we approach going through the Word of God this way. Line by line, precept upon precept. That's the way we study Right? Isaiah said that. He said, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's the way we need to study the Word of God. We need to go through and study line upon line. Read, and I would encourage you, read entire books. I'll just challenge you. Every day this week, read through the book of Philippians. You could do that in about 20 to 30 minutes. You could read through the entire book of Philippians. I challenge you to do that. Read through and study the Word of God. Read through every day and then study it. Study it. Study it verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. I'm going to give you a lot of meat today. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to help you to understand this book. In fact, we're going to really unfold this entire book today just out of this, this, uh, these first two verses. And really on one word, the word doulos, it's, it's the word servant or slave. And, and this one word is really a key to understanding this entire book. And so we're going to look at that. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And there's the word right there, bondservants of Jesus Christ. To who? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we want, to, we want to focus in on that one word right there, bondservants of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about today being servants of Jesus Christ. The word there, bondservants, this is New King James that I just read to you. In the New Living Translation, that word there is translated as slaves. In the English Standard Version, it's uh, translated as uh, servants. And that word there is the word in, in the Greek, doulos, doulos, and that means a slave, a bondman, a man of uh, servile condition, an attendant. These are kind of some of the ideas of what this, this word means. It's one who gives himself up to another person's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. And I'm going through, that. this is Thayer's definition. This is, Thayer's is a book that helps you to understand the words of the Bible, the language of the Bible. And so this is the way that Thayer, Thayer defines it. One who gives himself up to another man's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause 
among men. This is the word doulos. It has the, the idea, the understanding, the connotation of being in subjection, subservancy, being under authority. Has that connotation, this word doulos. This is the title that Paul introduces himself to the church of Philippi by. He, he doesn't magnify his office. He doesn't say here, Paul, an apostle. Paul, Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he doesn't use his pedigree. He doesn't use his position. But he acknowledges himself to this church at Philippi. It's a, and by the way, this, is, this church is about 10 years old at this point. Paul was involved in the planting, the beginning of this church. He'd raised up elders here, leadership of this church, 10 years prior to the writing of this letter. And he writes to them and he acknowledges himself, not as the church planter, not as the great leader who founded it all, not as the great apostle or any great lofty title, but instead chose to call himself a slave, a bondservant, doulos. This is the terminology that Paul uses here. We, especially in our American democratic culture, don't like this kind of terminology. We don't like to refer to ourselves in this kind of context. We, we don't like to see ourselves as subservient, in subjection, under authority. No one's going to tell me what to do. I don't like being told what to do. That, that's kind of the American spirit, right? Manifests itself in many ways. In, in, in some ways, it's great. In other ways, it, it, it is our Achilles heel. It hinders us in our walk with Christ. I, I want to give you some biblical terminology kind of centered around this idea. I'm, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to go read all of these verses. I've got uh, 11 here. So you can write them all down. And by the way, I'm going to read scripture today that won't be on our overhead. You know why? Because we are lazy, and I want you to bring your Bible to church. I want you to get a pencil and a highlighter and a notebook and bring it to church and start studying your scripture and break this lazy spirit we have, the way that we approach the word of God. Amen. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to dig into the scriptures. Amen? So study. I'm going to give you 11 verses here. And uh, actually, I see I've got a mistake in my notes. We'll figure it out later. But 10 of them, I, I do have all the right references. So here we go. This is what the Bible calls us. Okay? This is, this is how the Bible refers to us. It says that we are slaves. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22. Servants. And these words are used many times. These are just, uh, I'm giving you one scripture for each one. We're called servants in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Bond servants in Jude chapter 1. Or verse, verse 1, there's only one, one chapter. Verse 1, Jude 1. Uh, purchased possessions. That's the way the Bible refers to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. Bought. This is the one I messed the address up. I'll, it's something 15. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, 6.20, but it, it could be 2 Corinthians 15. Six, that, 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 well, we'll figure it out. Redeemed. Redeemed. Psalm 102, verse 7 says that we are redeemed. Purchased. Acts 20, verse 28. You're not your own. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Chosen. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and, and, and 9. The Lord's, like possessive, the Lord's. We are the Lord's. Romans 14, 7 through 8. We belong to Christ. Mark chapter 9, verse 41. You see that? It's, it's all throughout Scripture. We, we, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have been purchased. We are servants. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Amen? We, we need to come to terms with that. You are not your own. One of the best things you can ever do is stop making decisions for yourself. Let the Lord make your decisions. Is he really your master? Are we serving his will or our will? Are we following his agenda or the agenda that we have set? You see, when we enter into covenant with God, we are fully placed under the ownership of God. That's the reality. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? He, he died for us. We, we were dead in our, in our trespasses and sins. He died to bring us out of that, into life, into an abundant life. Amen? He paid the price for our sins. He deserves the claim on our lives. He deserves that ownership. Amen? He deserves our submission. He deserves our obedience because of everything that he has done for us. Amen? He's got a double claim on us. Number one, if you go check the mark, wherever that is on your backside or wherever he put it, it says, made by Jesus. Not made in Mexico. You weren't made in Mexico. You, I don't know where you were born, you, but you were made by Jesus. Amen? So he's got a claim on you. Amen. His mark is on you. He made you, number one. And number two, he died for you and redeemed you with his own blood. He paid the price for you with his own life. Right? So he has a double claim on us. He created us, and he has redeemed us with his own blood. So he, we, we are his, and we need to come to, to terms with that. We, we are to live exclusively within the boundaries of, of our vow uh, that, that we made to God in our covenant. Rather than the arena of rights. We're Americans, and we've got rights. Do we? I've come to terms with this idea, I don't have rights. My life is not my own. It's not. Very seldom does Chad ever get to do what he wants to do. I serve the purpose of God, or the purpose of Rachel, my mom, my kids, my friends, whoever. There are things in life, and I go for it. I'm going to tell you what, if I, if I were serving my will, my life, I, probably, I wouldn't be standing here today. Let's just say it that way. I'd be doing, there, there are a hundred other things I'd be doing right now. If I were serving my own will. I, I would live probably in Wyoming probably Pinedale, Wyoming, the most remote location in the United States of America, on about 5,000 acres in the middle of it, away from everybody else. <laughs> I'd ride horses and punch cows. If I could have picked the life that I wanted, that would have been it. But I've yielded to a call. I've yielded to the plan and the purpose of God. My life is not my own, and I've given up my rights. We've got to give up our rights. We've got to give up the right to know 
and to understand everything. When God says do it, do you demand the explanation of why? We've got to give up the right for fair treatment. We've got to give up the right to be independent. We've got to give up the right to make uh, unilateral decisions. We've got to give up the right to be happy or pursue happiness. That's what everybody in this world seems to be after these days, right? Trying to be happy. We've got to give up the right to that. We, we've got to give up the right to live according to our own feelings. We need to learn to serve Jesus whether we feel like it or not. Witness, I don't feel like it. Worship, I don't feel like it. Pray, I don't feel like it. I mean, that, our actions are governed by our feelings. Are we, served, are, are we slaves to ourselves or are we slaves to Christ? We've got to give up the right to have our own opinions. We've got to give up the right to selfish expectations. We've got to give up the right to do as we see, or as we please. We've got to give up the right to, to give up, to quit, or to walk away. We've got to give up the right to get angry, bitter, or offended. We've got to give up the right to, to demand anything from God or others. There's a, a principle that, that Rachel and I started to operate under. We, we travel, we have traveled for, I, I traveled before I met Rachel in ministry. We, we've traveled since we've gotten married. We spent 2015, we were in 27 different states. We were on the road with our family the entire year. We've traveled. And you're, you're, when you do that, you live by faith. Like th th There were times we didn't know, we, we would go to a town not knowing if we would have enough money to put fuel in our tank, pay for our, our accommodations, our food, et cetera, et cetera. We would arrive there not knowing whether we'd have enough to make it out of town. And sometimes on those journeys, you would go and minister at a church or do things, there would be no offering. And how many of you realize when you don't know how you're going to get to the next spot, that can be upsetting? Rachel and I, in, in that season, and those, were some, those moments were very challenging to us. They, I mean, they test your mettle. How are you going to respond to this? Are, are you going to get upset at those people? Will you have, actually have trust and faith that God's going to provide for you? Or are you going to try to like, work it out in yourself and look for other people, make phone calls, try to make this thing? How are you going to respond to those situations and circumstances? So during that time, Rachel and I kind of developed a, a, a mantra, a, a, a principle by which we operated. It was, it was this, go without expectation. You know, we, we, sometimes we went a call to go somewhere. They say things like this, what's your fee? How much do you need to come? Our response is, we don't have one. We go without expectation. If they give us an offering, great. If they don't, God's going to provide. And we've seen that. I could tell you about the, time after time, I could give you dozens and dozens of stories when we didn't have it and God made it happen. We're, we're down to our last. and we're, about, we're staying in somebody's basement and we walk out, we're, we're, we're loading all of our suitcases, all 20 of them, into the back of the van. Got four kids and a wife who loves shoes, and, and I like shoes. So we're loading our stuff into the back of the van. We're walking out the front door. They say, we want to pray with you. They pray with us, and then they stick an envelope with $500 cash in your hand. 
I could give you story after story after story of how God provided for us. Because we made a determination, we're just going to go and serve his purpose. So I gave up the right to get offended. They didn't give me an offering. Or they didn't honor me. They didn't acknowledge me. Right? So if you need acknowledgement to survive, don't become a pastor. <laughs> Jesus gave us the greatest example, right? You remember the lepers? That, that was that, that, that seminary for pastors, right? How many lepers were there? How many came back and said thank you? One. So if you need acknowledgement, don't get into ministry because it's a thankless operation. But you've got to give up the right to get your feelings hurt, to get offended, to let that affect you. I'm not my own. That's not, I don't believe just some special call for people in ministry, but as, as Christians, have we given up our rights? Think about it. Roman, or Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 13. You want to know what freedom looks like? Brethren, you're called to liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion for your flesh, but serve one another. Real liberty is in serving. Real freedom is wrapped up in being a slave to Jesus Christ. If you're not a slave to Jesus, if you're not a slave to his spirit, if you're not a slave to his word, if you're not a slave to serving, then you are a servant to your flesh and to your sinful nature and to the sins uh, that, that, this, that this life uh, brings before us and every opportunity that this, this world can afford. You're a slave to it. You're a slave of one or the other. And you have to choose. We're going to see that before we wrap up today, that we have to make a decision on whose slave we're going to be. So let, I, I wanna, what, what I want to do, and, and let me say this. This idea of serving is going to be key as we go through this book. We need to keep this in mind. Every, every study that we do, every, every time we open uh, the, the book of Philippians to go through this sermon series, we need to understand that serving is the key to this book. It really is. I want to unfold that. I want to give you a map right now to understand the book of Philippians. One of my, my favorite teachers in Bible college, Dr. Dr. Van Gill, he was, he was brilliant. He went on to be with the Lord a few years ago. Dr. Dr. Van was a, a, a friend of mine. He became a mentor, just a great, great man of God, probably the greatest Bible teacher that I've ever been around. And he developed a principle called the, 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 the Gill Hermeneutic. It's named after him. The Gill Hermeneutic. Hermeneutics are, are principles of studying Scripture. And so this idea that, that he developed became known as the Gill Hermeneutic. And what, what Dr. Van's uh, idea was is this, is that every time you study the Scripture, you need to find out something about Jesus. If we're studying Scriptures, we need to learn about Christ. He would say, if you've done a Bible study and you haven't learned something about Jesus, you haven't really studied the Bible. Because the Bible is the unfolding, the revealing of Jesus Christ. And so every time we approach Scripture, we need to come to learn something about Jesus. The key to effective Bible study is learning about Jesus. And here's what Dr. Gill developed this outline to help us understand Scripture. That in every book of the Bible, there's a problem. Every one of these books is written because there's a problem. The letter to the church at Philippi was written because there was a problem in the church at Philippi. We're going to see that problem here in just a second. 
But also in every book of the Bible, there is a presentation of Jesus Christ. There's three Ps. So you have to have alliteration if you're anointed. Three Ps today. There's a, there's a problem, and then there's a presentation of Jesus. And, and lastly, there is a promise. In every book of the Bible, there is a promise. You know what the promise is for? It's for those who overcome. And if you go look at the, the, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you know what they all had? They all had a problem. You know what else was given to each one of them? A presentation of Jesus Christ. And you know what else was given to them? A promise if they overcame their problem. Go and study that out. All seven of those churches, you see a problem, you see a presentation of Jesus, and you see a promise to those who overcome their problem through Jesus. Because there's no other way you're going to overcome that problem. I want you to understand this. If you've got a problem, the only way you're going to overcome it's through Jesus. You need to understand that. So let, let's look at this. What was the problem in the book of Philippians? This is just an outline for this book, and it's going to help us as we study through. Get this, and it'll help you all the way through as we study through this book. Philippians chapter 4, verse 23. There was a problem with two ladies. That's usually where the problems start in church. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But it just happens to be two ladies in this situation. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, beginning to read in, in, in uh, chapter, or in verse 2, Paul says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me, labored, that's a key word, served with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names or in the book of life. How many of you know just because your name is written in heaven, that doesn't mean you can't cause problems? Just because you're saved, it doesn't mean that everything is always nice in the church. There, there are issues, and we're gonna, we have to work through those issues. So Paul doesn't give light to what the, the issue is here, but there is a division between these two women. And he's, he's compelling them. He's imploring them, hey, be of the same mind. Maybe, maybe it was about the decor, the, the paint color of the church. We, we have no idea what this is. Maybe the way they took offering. Maybe one of them uh, wanted to give online and the other thought, no, you have to do it in a bucket. We, we don't know what the problem was, but there was some kind of division in the church. And he, he says, I implore Yodi, I implore Syntyche, be of the same mind in the Lord. If we can remember that, it'll help us get through our, our problems. How many of you know we're not always going to see eye to eye? If we remodeled this sanctuary, we would have, how many people are here today, we'd have that many different opinions about the paint color, the new chairs, the new flooring, right, the new lighting. We'd have a multiplicity of opinions about how this thing's supposed to work out, right? If we do an outreach, if you've got a team, there's going to be different ideas about how to get the job done. You know what the key to working through that is? Do it in the Lord. I, I, I say this every once in a while. I'm the senior pastor here. And there are often times that I want to see something happen in this church. And it doesn't happen. You know why? Because the reality, it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. 
And there may be times I want to advance something, but I have to take a step back and say, what does the Lord want in this situation? What's the Lord's will for our church? Are you leading your home that way? Are you leading your business that way? Are you leading your life that way? Making Listen, if you'll begin to do this in your home, you and your wife will have unity. Let's make decisions according to the will of God. She wants this, I want that, but hey, this is what the Lord wants for our house. Be of the same mind in the Lord. That's key. So the problem is division. What is the presentation of Jesus in the book of Philippians? Let this mind, right? Philippians 2, 5, be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. It's the same word, doulos. Paul introduces himself as a doulos. He declares Jesus to be doulos. He took on the form of a servant, of a slave. And coming in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. And we'll, we'll, we will preach that. We're not going to get deep into that. But he became a slave and was obedient to the will of the Father to the point of death. We're not going to belabor that. But this is the picture that Paul presents of Jesus. He presents himself as a slave, and he portrays Jesus as a slave. Why? Because he's put an example out before this church that is in the middle of some kind of a dispute. He's saying you've got a problem, and the way that you're going to overcome that is through Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He became a slave. He became a servant. That's the way that we're going to overcome if there's a division in your marriage, if you'll learn to serve one another, you'll overcome that division. If there's a division in the workplace, if you'll learn to serve, you'll overcome the conflict. I remember one time I was uh, brought in to a church on staff. It was a bilingual church in San Antonio, Texas. Rachel and I were brought in. She was the worship leader. I was brought in as an associate pastor. The pastor gave me a job description, and I immediately went to work trying to accomplish what he asked me to do. And I was immediately met res with resistance. I was ruffling feathers. People weren't willing to follow. It was frustrating. I went to the pastor. I said, look, Pastor Rick, I'm trying to do what you asked me to do, but people don't want to comply. They don't want to participate. I'm, getting, I'm meeting resistance. He says, well, here's what you need to do. Stop trying to lead that agenda and just go in there and serve people. Serve them for the next three months and then start making changes and see what happens. And that's what I did. Took him to dinner when I could, did whatever I could to help him out, showed up for work days, just served. And you know what happened? As soon as I began to lead change, people began to follow me after that. Why? They saw a model of, of servitude. Right? People got to get to know you. They got to see your heart. And when they see that willingness to serve, it changes their attitude towards you. Right? The way we overcome conflicts, the way when they're striving, when there's division, the way that we're going to overcome, follow the example of Jesus. Jesus said, I did, don't, don't think that the Son of Man came to be served, but rather the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He laid his life down. He laid his, his will down. He laid his agenda down for the good of everybody else. That's the example that we see in Jesus. So what's the problem or, or the promise? Can anybody name a promise in the book of Philippians? This book is chocked full of so many great scriptures. And you know this promise. What is it? My God shall supply all of your needs. You got it, Anna. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here's the promise of the book. See, why, why do we come into, into church or to marriage or into business with an agenda? It's because we got needs. We want to advance this agenda because it's going to meet my need. People have needs. It may be financial needs, maybe relational needs. They may have a need for affirmation, whatever it might be. But we have needs, and we come into a situation fighting for our agenda to be advanced so our needs will be met. But here's what Paul's saying. If you'll follow the example of Jesus and serve, rather than trying to advance your own agenda, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. So that, that's the outline for this book. That, the, the reason that the, book of the, the, the letter to the church at Philippi was written was to deal with this issue of division in the church. And Paul methodically, precisely, writes this letter to deal with this issue. Another thing that he does, he gives Timothy as an example. He actually introduces himself. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants, doulos, but later on, he actually, he gives his recommendation of Timothy. He said, I'm going to send Timothy. Check this out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I trust the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I, may also, that I also may be encouraged when I note your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are, Christ, uh, which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I, myso my, I myself shall also come shortly. This is Paul's endorsement of this young Timothy. This is I'm sending them to. And, and, and the reason I'm sending there, there's no one else who's like-minded. Remember, what, what was the problem with Yodi and Syntyche? Be of the same mind. They weren't like-minded. So he's setting forth Timothy as an example. He, he's like-minded with me. He served with me in the gospel. Right? I have no one else like Timothy. Everybody else is concerned about their own needs. But Timothy puts the needs of others first. He is promoting this young man. He says he's got proven character. Listen, church, as leaders in the kingdom of God, we need to have proven character. We can't just put novices in. We, we can't, people, can't put people in that we don't know. Principle, don't lay hands on no man suddenly. That's biblical principle. In other words, you don't walk in and we anoint you as the pope over the department when we don't know you. Right? We have to have proven character. Proven character. What does it take to advance in the kingdom of God? We have to be true servants to advance in the kingdom of God. This is, I mean, this is what Jesus taught, right? Whoever's going to be great in my kingdom will be your servant. 
right? They were arguing. They were jockeying for position. Who's going to sit at your right hand, Lord? Hold on a second. That, that, that's not what it's about. Whoever among you is going to be the greatest will be servant. Remember, uh, was it John 13? He girds himself in a robe, and he goes and he washes the disciples' feet. He models what leadership is all about by his example of servitude. Again, don't think that Jesus came to be served. Don't think that, I, that I've come. Don't think that the Son of Man has come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life away. This is leadership in the kingdom of God. A willingness to sacrifice, a willingness to give, a willingness, a willingness to take on responsibility, to do what no one else wants to do, to care for people that no one else wants to care for. To, it takes that to truly lead in God's kingdom. It's not about being on a platform. It takes true servitude. What I believe God shows us in this life through, through Paul, the example of Timothy is this, that, that true servants don't seek their own. Right? Timothy is not seeking his own. But the things are Christ's, right? That, that, was what, that was his endorsement of Timothy. True servants don't seek their own. They care for the welfare of others. That's what true leadership is about in God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus teaches us on leadership. Jesus calls them, this is verse 25 in chapter 20. Jesus calls them to himself and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. They dominate. You'll do it and you'll like it. Right? That's the way the world, that's the way your boss talks to you. And you say, yes, sir, because that paycheck comes every week. Right? That's the way the world leads. But in the God's kingdom, that's not it. It shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen? We're called to serve. Peter talks about it. First Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you, he says, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So he compels them. Your elders serve the flock of God. Again, you're not there to dominate them. They're not there to serve you. They're not your minions. They're not your servants. You are their servants. Right? It's, it's role reversal. It's contrary to the way that we think. And, 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 and in response to this, we, we need to consider our response to that authority. We, I always like to balance this out, right? As leaders, you're not to lord over, but as a follower, we're, we're to submit. Right? Listen to what, what Paul, well, whoever wrote, I believe Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, verse 17, says, Obey those who have rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Does, does your pastor... 
enjoy serving you? Or is it like, oh man, here they come. Are they going to tell me off again? Are they going to complain about my preaching? Or what, 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 are they going to make more and more and more demands, more yoke on me? What are they going to do? What, what's your relationship with your pastor like? Have you ever considered that? What's your approach with your pastor? It's important. You know, I've got a pastor. I've got accountability. I'm a part of a ministerial association. I get accountability from those guys. I get financial accountability from Steve Manicky. Does our books. I get oversight accountability right here within the church. We have, we have a board of leaders. And I say accountable to them. There, there, there's times when I want to advance things and I'm accountable to that budget. We can't do it. I'm accountable to wisdom. We, we, we were talking about whether we have church today. I, I, I called pastors. I called Pastor Bill yesterday. We talked about it. We made a decision. I'm not doing my own thing. Amen. I'm under subjection. I'm under authority. We all need to be under authority. Right? Do I want my relationship with the, be, with, with the board to be conflict? Do I want to fight over Steve? Make his, oh, goodness, Pastor Chad's coming again. I, we don't have the money, and I'm going to tell him, and he's going to shout at me again. Is that what I want my relationship with them to be like? No. God put them there for my health. For my well-being, I, I don't want a stressed relationship. I want joy in those relationships. I don't want somebody to call a David Cook or a Don Crabtree and tell them, hey, Chad's life out, is out of order, and they call me and I tell them, you're an idiot, stay out of my life. That's not the way, I, that's not the way to respond to authority. We humble ourselves under the authority that God's put in our lives. We're subjected to it. I love what Watchman Nee says. Watchman Nee says that, that fish swim, birds fly, and Christians submit. Boy, this is dirty, uh, uh, you know, submission, dirty words in American culture. Subserviency. Well, the pastor should call the shots and tell everybody, put everybody in their place when they stand in the way of the will of God. You know, there's truth that a pastor has to find the will of God for a church and lead. But pastors need accountability. Any, any, any king operating. And, and when you study king in, in the scripture, substitute the word leader. Any leader operating without a prophetic voice in their life is in a dangerous place. David, Nathan. Nathan shows up and corrects him. David could have chopped his head off. What did he do? He submitted to the correction that God brought to his life. And it saved him. There were consequences of the decisions that he'd already made, but the decision to submit to the authority of God in his life saved him. It allowed him to continue to lead Israel and to become a healthy leader in the kingdom. Why? Because he submitted to the man that spoke the word of God to his life. Right? We, we, often, we, we need to learn to do that and, and to do it with joy. Not, let's not get in conflict. If they, let, let, let's talk it out. Let, let's work through it. Let's, let, let, let's serve each other and get through conflict when it arises in the church. All right, let, let's move on. I'm, I'm belaboring it. I'm getting short on time, and I got six more pages of notes. Just kidding. Almost to the last page. So true servants, th this was point number one under this. True servants don't seek their own. They, they care for the welfare of others. Let's finish that one. Let, let's move to point two. True servants don't seek titles. 
You know that, that you don't have to have a title to lead in God's kingdom. You don't have to have a title to serve. Having a title doesn't make you important. There are titles in God's kingdom. I mean, they're, they're all throughout Scripture. We see that. Having a title, somebody calling you pastor or anything else, doesn't make you more important than anybody else. It doesn't. It makes you the servant of all. It makes you responsible. There's a responsibility that comes with it, being in any office. We, we love to look for the authority, but we shun that responsibility. What's the responsibility of pastoring a church? What's the responsibility of standing in a pulpit and preaching? If I don't do my job here, it's better for me to, that they would tie a millstone. If you've ever seen a millstone, it's a, it, it's a big rock, that thick and that round, and tie that around my neck and cast me in the bottom of the sea. If I don't stay true to the scriptures, if I don't teach God's word faithfully, that's responsibility. We love the authority part, people striving for that authority but we don't like the responsibility part. Give me a title. What, 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 are you gonna, what position am I going to get? Am I going to sit at your right hand? It doesn't work that way. T.F. Tenney said there, we got too many people reaching uh, for, for a position and not enough people reaching for a towel. Too many, too many people striving for the throne and not enough striving to be servants. Are we willing to serve? True servants don't grasp for authority. You know what they do? They, they take responsibility. There's a young man named Archippus. is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take on the responsibility of this ministry. How do we advance in the kingdom of God? Young preachers ask me this all the time. How did you get where you are? I want to travel. Why do you have doors open for you? How did you get that? How did you come to be a pastor? You know what I did? I showed up for work day at the church. I trimmed the hedges. I mowed the yard. When we built the gymnasium at the church, I showed up in my pickup truck and parked in the parking lot and slept from midnight till 6 a.m. so that they wouldn't steal the building materials off our, our church property. I got involved in the drama every Easter. I built the set. I served as a, I wasn't a brilliant actor, so they made me a, like a body that is in the crowds. <laughs> crucify! I was the best crucify guy in the whole crowd. I was even Jesus' stunt double between the, the cross and the resurrection. While Jesus was in, in there taking a shower, I was in the grave. I did everything that I could possibly do. Every time the church doors were open, I was there. Prayer meetings, the singles meetings, the men's meetings. I even tried to show up for the women's meetings. They wouldn't let me in. <laughs> I showed up. I submitted to the authority of the church. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and due season God will exalt you. That's, that's how it works. Not by passing out business cards. Not by self-promotion. Just serve. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you would fulfill it. New Living Translation is that same verse. It says, say to Archippus, 
be sure to carry out the ministry that the Lord has given you. If that's leading a small group, be faithful to lead. If it's cleaning the church windows, be faithful to do it. If it's giving somebody a ride to church, be faithful every Sunday to pick them up. Whatever ministry God's given you, be faithful to it. Take the responsibility on it. If you'll do that, if you'll take responsibility, God will ultimately bring you into a place of authority. When we exalt ourselves, we will get crushed. Don't put yourself into a position you're not ready for. Listen, God will exalt you when you're ready. God didn't bring David to the throne until David was ready. God took him to a sheepfold. God took him through a cave long before he ever came to the castle. Submit to the hand of God and be faithful. David was faithful to tend the sheep. He was faithful to lead his dysfunctional band in the caves. He was faithful. And God promoted him. So let me wrap up with a couple more passages here. Romans chapter 6. And we'll ask this question. Who's, whose slave are you? We mentioned this early in the message. Who's, whose slave are you? Who are you serving? Are you serving the world or are you serving God? Are you serving your flesh or are you serving the Spirit of God? Whose slave are you? Every one of you is, is, is a slave. That's a reality. You're a slave to something. Every one of you worships something. You may not worship Jesus, but you're worshiping something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's vocation. Something in this world. But we're all worshiping something. We're all slaves to something. Whose slave are you? Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. says, Do you not realize that you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? What are you obeying? Whose doctrine are you obeying? What, what worldview dominates your mind? Is it God has said or is it has God said? What's dominating you? You're the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You could be the slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Verse 17, thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you, are, you, you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the slavery of sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were the slaves to sin, you were, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of those things you used to do, the things that ended in eternal doom. But now, verse 22, you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Who's, whose slave are you? Who are you serving? The flesh or the spirit? The devil or Jesus? The kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? Whose slave are you? 
wrap up with the words of Jesus. That's always a good place to, to wrap up, I think. John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? Consider your life. Who, who are you serving? Whose, whose will are you serving? Can you, can you say like Paul, Paul, Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, servants of Jesus Christ? Are you a servant of the workplace? Are you a slave to the vocational ladder? Are you a slave to the pleasures of the world? Are you a slave to your own self? I think to me that's the worst. Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What does freedom look like? Freedom is not the ability to do anything you please. Freedom is the ability to function as God created you to function. That can only happen through Christ Jesus. That's a reality. There's a story, and I don't know the, the, the truth of this story or anything. It's just a story. I think I actually heard it when I was in college. It's amazing that I can remember it so long ago. And I'm talking about secular college, which I flunked out of almost every class that I took. Long, long story. But they, 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 they told this story of Abraham Lincoln. They said that one day he went to the, the slave cell. And I don't remember the whole, all, all the details of it, but he ends up buying this lady, so slave. And then he says to her, you're free to go. And as the, the story goes, this woman turns. She says, I want to go home with you. I want to go home with you. You think about that. That, that, that to me, is the perfect picture. Jesus has set me free. Where do I want to go? I want to go with Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's the kind of master that I want. That's who I want to serve. Jesus. Whose slave are you? Let's, let's stand together. There's only one way to know freedom, and it's through Jesus Christ. Period. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And, and let, let me say this. It is for freedom that you have been freed.
How many of you know the bondage of debt? How many of you have ever been crippled by the bondage of debt? You've had credit card bills or whatever that you could not barely afford to pay. It's crippling. It's a picture of what sin does to our life. It cripples us. When I got married, I had some credit cards, and it, it was pretty minor now looking back. It, it, it seemed major to us, but it was minor. My wife helped me work through all that. I was working, and she would call creditors. She would set up payment plans, and we worked through all that, and we got completely out of debt. And then a situation came where I thought, man, it would be really nice to have a credit card to do this with. And you know what scripture popped up in my spirit? It is for freedom that you have been freed. I want us to examine our hearts. Just close your eyes right where you're at and ask yourself, am I living free? Am I truly living free? Or am I bound by something? Does sin have me bound? Am I bound by my flesh? Is there something that's got you captive? Let's ask ourselves that honestly. And I want to pray over you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, help us to realize our position in Christ Jesus. You didn't die so that we could continue to live bound by sin, slaves to our own flesh, slaves to our own carnal desires. Lord, it is for freedom that we have been freed. Lord, that we might serve your purpose. I've come to find that there's no greater joy than serving the purposes of God. There's nothing that will satisfy you like serving the purpose of God in your life. There's no greater way to walk than the way of Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would set captives free in this place today, Lord God. Help us to realize our position in you and who we are in you, Lord God. Lord, set us free, Lord, to live as you designed us to live, to function as you intended for us to function. Lord, I declare freedom right now in the name of Jesus. I declare liberty right now in the name of Jesus. Set the captives free. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it in your mighty name. Amen.